0: There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective.
1: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. Welcome to Episode 18 of South Coast, A Shaman's Tale from the Golden Age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 38, Aram's Inlet, April 13, 2305. You're kidding, right? Casey asked. Jimmy just sat there with the map projection on the wall. What do you think, Jake? Can 25-meter designs work out there? he asked, looking at the yard man. Jake shrugged. Once you get more than 10 kilometers out, you may as well be a thousand. The sea conditions just don't change that much. The difficulty is there's no place to run when it kicks up. Casey started ticking points off on her fingers. Fuel, water, food, what do we do about the catch? Three days out, one day fishing, three days back? What is that? Tony asked. It looks like a smudge. Jimmy zoomed the image in. They were looking at a satellite composite projection of the ocean bottom. Running along like some submarine serpent, a jagged line ran west to east across the image. With the image zoomed in, it became obvious that it was a submarine ridge. The pattern was unmistakably tectonic and marked the place where the planetary plate carrying the western reaches butted up against the vast sunken plate that was the main seafloor. That plate extended some 9,000 kilometers south before it bashed into the south polar plate, upon which rested the southern reaches. The false color image was largely black and dark blue, except for the graded blue band which shaded to a thin green line. That is the north mid-ocean ridge, Jimmy announced. The paler the green, the shallower the water. Yellow would be sea level, and red is anything above. Casey walked right up to the screen and got close to the ridge, following it along. There's not one speck of yellow there, Jimmy. There's no land out there. Yeah, Jimmy agreed. But where you see the transition between blue and green? That's the hundred meter mark. He zoomed in on a likely looking chunk of the serpentine pattern. That image right there is 200 kilometers from top to bottom. That pale green line is wider than the pumpkin. As they sorted out in their brains what they were looking at, Comprehension began dawning around the room. Billy first, then Casey and Tony. My gods, Casey said, that's huge. Where the pumpkin grounds was about 20 kilometers wide and 60 long, this green band represented 20 kilometers in width and 200 in length before it slid out of the frame. Jimmy zoomed back until the green band was broken by darker blue on each end. That bank is a 1,000 kilometers long and 20 wide he said. "'Yeah, but it's a thousand kilometers out to sea,' Casey objected. Twelve hundred, hundred, actually,' Jimmy noted. The room lapsed into silence as the group eyed the green line. "'Okay, what do we do if a storm comes up?' Casey asked. "'We can deal with the rest, but we need some kind of shelter. Here, in three stands, four at the most, we can duck into harbor. Worst case, slip into one of the coves. What do we do out there?' Jimmy shrugged, throw out a sea anchor and ride it out. Jake made a strangling noise. Ah, Jimmy, ride it out? Yeah, Jimmy said. What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I'm thinking the boat sinks and everybody dies would be pretty much the worst, Casey pointed out. Yeah, Jimmy agreed that would be. But why would the boat sink? High winds bring high waves. High waves splash onto boats. Boats fill with water, Tony said. "'Casey started getting a thoughtful look. "'That's not what sinks boats,' she said. "'Jimmy started to smile, and Jake was frowning. "'Once in a very, very great while, "'something will happen to break up a boat,' Casey said, "'but it's very seldom the wind or the waves.' "'Tony was baffled, "'but Jake was looking more and more thoughtful. "'It's something in the water that breaks the hull, "'like a log, or the boat gets blown onto a rock, "'or tries to turn across the wind and gets rolled over.' "'Jake was nodding. "'She's right.' The danger is when the wind blows you backwards faster than the engines can drive you forward. If you run out of ocean before you run out of wind, you're sunk. Literally, he said. They all looked back at the chart on the wall. Jimmy spoke then. It wouldn't be a fun ride, and certainly not something you'd want to do with a full hold. But the biggest danger out there would be the ridge itself. Any really big seas would have their energy focused by the shallow waters of the ridge, and that might get really ugly. Anything up to a hundred kilometers an hour, maybe a hundred and fifty, he shrugged. It'd scare the crap out of me to try to do it near shore, but out there? What am I going to get blown into? Throw out a sea anchor to keep the bows into the wind and ride up one side and down the other. You could get blown off 300 kilometers by a big storm, but unless you hit another boat, there's not a lot out there to break up on. Casey was nodding. You'd have to be really careful about watertight doors and hatches. Keep the bilge pumps up to spec, Jake said in a kind of speculative tone. "'It would take a big storm over a long period of time to do a great deal of damage to the boats,' Jimmy said. "'Anything that big we'd see coming. Hell, we'd probably dodge it, run half a day east or west, and let it blow by.' "'Showers,' Casey said. "'We're going to stink.' Jimmy chuckled. "'Yeah, that's the one thing we can't have without overhauling the fleet. and "'We don't have time to overhaul the fleet, not in the short run. "'We need to know whether it's worth doing 1st "'It'll be worth it,' Billy spoke.' That's got to be the richest fishing ground on the planet. Deep water upwelling on either side of the ridge would make the Nanking upwelling look like a spa tub, and it's untouched. Nobody's ever fished it. It's the only shallow water for thousands of kilometers. It'll be worth it. I agree, Jimmy said. So we need to mount an expedition out there. I want a fish census and some up-close-and-personal bottom maps we got logistical problems that need solving, as Casey's pointed out in the beginning. We need to be able to supply the boats with fuel, water, and food. We need to be able to get the fish off them so that they can keep fishing. We can't spend three days out, three days back, and only one day of fishing. As rich as these grounds are, it's likely that one set is all we'll get before we'll need to unload. Well, how do we do that, Jimmy? Tony asked. Jimmy sighed and shook his head. I don't know. Well, I wanted to hear some of your suggestions first. Jake spoke first. We could set up a supply chain, send out ships with the supplies you'd need. Casey winced as she considered the potential for disaster in ship-to-boat replenishment. Can we build a floating platform, she asked. Like a big floating dock, Tony asked. Yeah, she said. Barges, Jake said. We've got a few for moving bulk goods along the coast. We use them all the time for heavy dredge platforms. Takes two weeks to make one, but they're 40 meters long, 20 meters wide, and rated at about a megaton and a half. "'What's the catch?' Jimmy asked. i would take a week to get out there with a barge,' Jake answered. "'Billy, how much could a single 30-meter dragger grab in 100 days?' Jimmy asked. "'Something over 8 megatons,' he answered, almost immediately. "'How short are we going to be on the quota at the end of the season?' he shot back. "'5%. Just around 45 megatons at the current rates of slippage,' Billy answered. "'So 10 more draggers for 100 days would give us 80 megatons more. "'If you can fish them full every day, yeah.' "'Billy asserted. "'Okay, work up the consumables for ten draggers working around the clock,' Jimmy said. "'They all sat up and looked at him like he'd just lost his mind. "'Around the clock?' Casey asked. "'Is there any reason not to drag in the dark?' "'You mean, other than that the crew needs to sleep?' she asked Riley. "'Yeah, other than that,' he asked very seriously. "'That stopped her, and she actually took a tick to think about it. "'No, not really. We've got the deck lights for sorting fish by.' If you can keep from keeling over from lack of sleep, then yeah, no problem. Jimmy shrugged. That's what I thought. Okay, Jake, here's what I need. Support for ten draggers. Fuel, food, fresh water, and dorm space for 120 people. I want you to spec out a portable processing plant that can freeze whatever comes in, up to two metric megatons a day. That'll never happen on a barge, Jimmy. Jake said the barge can only handle one and a half. Add the processing equipment and you're down to half a ton. What are you going to do with it after that? If the processing time is more than six hours, you've got a flow problem with more fish going in than coming out. Two barges? he asked. Maybe, Jake said. But you still need to get that product out of there fast and frozen. Jimmy sighed. So close. He looked at the wall for another tick. Okay, work up the logistics. How much food, fuel, and water and bunk space do we need for 120 people per day? Tony, Jake, and Billy all looked at each other, nodded, and headed off to their assigned tasks. Casey asked, so you want to take the seahorse out for a look around? After all her objections, she sounded almost eager. He grinned. Not exactly. You want to go for a walk? A quarter stand later, Jimmy and Casey were standing in the flitter park. Casey looked at it, but she really didn't recognize it. It is a flitter, right? She asked. Jimmy grinned. Yeah, it's on loan from Allied. A normal flitter was a bit like an aerodynamic brick, roughly oblong longer than it was wide, with a cockpit near the front and antigravna cells bulging smoothly around the edges. This thing looked like a frog with wings, and about twice the size of a normal flitter. Behind the bulbous cockpit that was sitting much further forward, the back arched up about a meter higher than the cockpit's roof and tapered down to the far end, giving the overall impression of a bullfrog crouched. There were little stubby wings protruding from the sides that were studded with various pods and spikes. None of them made any sense to Casey's eye. "'Okay,' she said, after a few ticks of dubious examination. "'What is it?' "'It's a survey flitter,' said a smooth female voice behind them. They turned to see a slender woman wearing a jumpsuit, smiling at them. "'Hello, Sonia,' Jimmy said. "'Hey, Jimmy. is going to help us make a survey of the Outer Banks,' he said. "'Us?' Casey squeaked. "'Yeah.' I want you to come out with us tomorrow and take a look. Tomorrow? Jimmy, that's 1,200 kilometers out there. Sonia said, at our cruising speed, that's just about three hours. It gives us about two hours on station before we have to come back. Should be a nice little jaunt. Don't bother to pack a lunch, Jimmy said. Barney's catering. What? Just be here at six, he said. Dress casual. Chapter 39, Calum's Cove, April 14, 2305. Rachel grinned at Otto over the toast and oatmeal. So you think you can help me? Otto looked back and forth from Rachel to Richard. Richard was smiling, too. You want me to help you fish? He asked, as if to confirm what he'd heard. Yes, Hun. if your father can spare you from your lessons. Richard made a big show of careful consideration while Otto smiled, pretending not to know they'd been discussing it the night before. I think we can spare him for a bit. Otto grinned. So what is it you want me to do? Crab bait, she said. Mary's given me a couple big plastic buckets and we need some fish to put in the crab pots for bait. Understanding blinked onto Otto's face. Of course. Bait's going to be a big part of this. Rachel spread a bit of jam on her toast and nodded as she sunk her teeth into it. Yes, it is. I didn't think of that. I wonder how many crabbers the cove can support. Oh, there's plenty of room in the harbor. We can always put in another pier, Richard pointed out. Rachel smiled. Well, I was thinking more in terms of how many crabs there are, we don't want to make the same mistakes with crab that we have with the banks. Richard grinned. I think we'll know soon enough. Something you're not telling me, she asked. No, Richard shrugged. It just seems like after this, Pirano's going to want to know what else they've missed. Jimmy Pirano didn't strike me as the kind of guy that would let that mistake happen again. As they cleared away breakfast, Otto asked, Now that we're done eating... "'How much bait do you want, and when do you want it?' "'Well, if you could fill one of Mary's buckets for me, that would be a big help,' Rachel replied. "'Just one?' "'It'll probably take, like, one a day when we get rolling, but I just want to get some bait set aside. "'I need to do some survey work myself around the harbor.' "'Survey work?' Otto asked. "'Yeah, I need to know where the crabs are. "'Mary says there's three kinds of crabs in the area. "'The small rock crabs we probably won't be taking, "'but there's a harbor crab with some commercial potential.' and then a larger cousin out around the point, presumably along the outer shore. Richard looked askance. You think you can get commercially viable product out of just Calum's Cove? Rachel laughed. No, silly, but it may come as a shock to you, you landlubber, that the whole south coast is riddled with coves, bays, and inlets. The harbor crabs would be in every one of them. Oh, I bet you can take a ton of harbor crabs, Otto said enthusiastically. That would be about 10,000 crabs, Rachel pointed out. I don't think I'm going to catch that many by myself. I'll help, Otto offered. Me too, said Richard unexpectedly. Rachel looked at him with an expression that ran between amused and concerned. You sure? she asked. He smiled back at her reassuringly. Yeah. But you've always said fishing isn't something a shaman should do, she reminded him. Too dangerous. After the box fish, her voice trailed off. Well, yeah, Richard glanced at his son. There's danger, and there's danger. And I'm seeing things differently these days. Well, I'm grateful for the help, if you're sure. Richard's gaze turned inward. Sometimes you have to be really quiet to listen to the world, he said. Can we go get the buckets now? Otto asked. They all slipped into their jackets and headed out the back door. So tell me, Otto, how are we going to catch a bucket of fish? His father asked him curiously. One at a time, father, he replied with a boyish grin. One at a time. It was still early in the day when they got to Mary's workshop, but she was already out there, dressed in work clothes and supervising three people as they arranged bundles and boxes around the tidy back lot between the pub and the workshop. Mary grinned when the three of them came walking up the lane and waved happily. "'Your parts are back from the inlet already,' she cried. Rachel wandered in, her eyes skating across the various bundles and bales. "'What is all this?' she asked, bewildered. "'Well, that pile of stuff is the netting you wanted cut,' this pile of boxes here are the frame parts. That pile back there, those are the cases of line floats and buoys, and these reels are the rope you need. There's some other stuff around, too. Mary was grinning like a kid in a candy store. Jane McGill was standing there with a box marked Toggles. "'Where do you want this, Mary?' "'Hi, Rachel,' she said. "'Back there with the floats, Jane. Thank you.' Rachel looked around and realized that Jane had brought her crew, Aaron Stewart and Susan Masterson, to help. "'Thanks, Jane.' Rachel echoed a bit belatedly. Jane flashed a smile. No problem. We were talking about it on the way in last night and figured it would be fun to see how this all worked. Susan walked by with a bundle of netting and smiled at Otto as she passed. Rachel had to stifle a grin when she saw the devastating effect it had on him. When she noticed the way Susan's walk changed slightly as she walked away toward the pile of netting, her thoughts took a more speculative, even motherly, turn. "'Mary laughed and said softly, "'If I had a swing like that in my backyard, I'd never leave the house.' "'Richard, oblivious to the whole thing, said, "'What?' "'Rachel coughed out a laugh and just said, "'Buckets? Mary, I've asked Otto to get a bucket of bait for us to use in the survey traps. Is still there in the corner,' she pointed them out to Otto "'by first stepping into his line of sight "'to get his attention back from where Susie was bending over "'to put down her load of net parts. "'Just take a half a dozen. The lids are under the counter there.' You'll want them before you're done, and it'll save time if you have them handy. Half a dozen? Rachel asked. You're going to go through an amazing amount of bait. You best get these great strong men out there catching it for you soon. Mary's voice was mirthfully stern as she teased Otto and Richard. The two great strong men set about trying to untangle some of the buckets from the stack, which proved to be a bit more difficult than it would have otherwise seemed. The periodic distraction caused when Susan sashayed past the open doorway didn't help. "'Mary commented, "'You know, sometimes a little more subtlety "'on presentation of the bait is called for. "'Rachel chuckled a little and observed, "'She seems to be doing just fine "'with the presentation she's using.' "'That was when a large lorry "'pulled up to the end of the alley. "'Mary's eyes took on a pinched look "'as the driver jumped down "'and strolled up to the back of the pub. "'He was a pleasantly tall man "'with big arms and shoulders. "'He was smiling, sure enough, "'but Rachel didn't think he looked particularly happy.' Hello, Pete. A little early this week, aren't you? Mary asked. Pete looked around at all the goods stacked about and just said, A little bit. I didn't expect you till tomorrow, she replied. Yeah, well, I'm here today, so you want this shipment? Or what? Oh, uh, we have to have it. Can you give me a couple minutes to clear a path? Pete nodded to the back door of the pub. Is Jace pulling? he asked. We're not open yet, Pete, you know that. Jace is still abed, she said simply. Well, Pete drew the word out. I suppose I could wait a few minutes, but I got a schedule to keep. He turned and ambled back down the alley and climbed back into the cab of his truck. Jane, Aaron, Susan, we need to clear that path so the truck can get back up to the door. Mary went over to the nearest pile of gear and started shoving it along the ground. Otto, Richard, if you'd leave those buckets for a moment, Rachel called, we could use some extra effort here. They came out of the shed, and, seeing the intent, soon had the gear shoved back against the shed and out of the way. Mary motioned for Pete to back in, and they all stood back to watch. For all of his attitude, Pete knew his business when it came to moving a large truck in a small space, and it was soon filling the area between shop and pub. Rachel turned to Mary and said, I'll be right back. I need to talk to Alan. Less than half a stand later, Rachel returned with Alan in tow. The truck was still blocking the alley, and Pete was taking his own sweet time moving the goods from the lorry through the door into the pub. Off to the side, the Pirano cargo tote was still half-loaded with supplies for the crab pots. Richard and Otto had apparently taken off with their buckets, but Jane, Aaron, and Susan were keeping Mary company in the door of the shed. Alan nodded at Rachel. Yeah, I see what you mean, he said. Let me go check to see what we have. He turned and hurried away. When Rachel joined the quartet at the shop door, Mary asked, "'So what's that about, then?' nodding in the direction that Alan had taken. "'We can't do this here, Mary. It's not fair to you and Jace. you got a pub to run. These are going to take up a lot of space when we get them going, and you just don't have it.' She looked around, measuring the space in the bundles with her eyes. She sighed. "'Yeah, you're right,' she finally admitted. "'What's Alan looking for?' "'A building we can work in. A warehouse, maybe.' "'The old boathouse is empty,' Mary said. "'Has been for stanyards.' "'Rachel grinned. "'I asked for that one first. "'He has to see if it's available or if he has anything better.' "'Mary grinned back, and they stepped out of the shop, "'walked down beside the wall, "'and stepped into the back side of the lot behind the pub. "'A ramshackle metal building hunkered in the front of the large lot. "'The back of the lot was just scrubby dirt "'and the odd bit of timber on the ground. "'Before Pirano had built the new hoist and wintering facility "'down at the Harborside, This place had been the wintering yard for the fleet, all twelve boats of it. Rachel's eye went to the spot where her father's boat had wintered for so many stanyards. It looked no different than any other, but the ghosts of the twelve huge boats that used to form narrow alleys and hidden spaces were there in her mind's eye, the chocks and cradles that held the hulls in their winter embrace, the wind sizzling across the surface of the boat wrap. She used to think they looked like huge cocoons, and she'd always fancied they'd emerge in the spring as huge butterflies. "'There's plenty of room to stack traps back here,' Mary pointed out. "'They picked the way across the uneven ground "'until they got to the front of the building. "'The doors were held closed with a chain and a padlock "'through the hoops and the door handles, "'but the window beside the door was missing entirely, "'allowing the wind and weather, along with the two women, "'clear access into the building. "'The cavernous building was five meters up, fifteen meters wide and ten deep. "'The big workbenches were still there against the west wall.' The big overhead gantry crane was gone, of course, but the heavy rail on which it had run was still there. The roof seemed mostly intact. There were only a couple of places where a missing rivet allowed a narrow beam of sun to shine in. The floor, of course, was a wreck. Mary stood there in the middle of the leaf litter and bits of bric-a-brac on the floor, put her hands on her hips, and surveyed the ruin. "'This is a mess,' she pronounced. Rachel turned in place beside her, looking around and around, beaming a huge smile. Yeah, it's perfect. Alan stuck his head in the broken window. Good, because it's about the only thing we have on the asset list that's available today. He eyed the broken-out window, dubiously, and then used the keys dangling from his fingers to unlock the padlock and open the double front doors. The additional light showed off the water stains, rust, and corrosion to good effect. The windows, where they survived, were fogged with grime and small spots best not investigated too closely. He shook his head as he stepped gingerly across the floor. "'I don't know, Rachel,' he said dubiously. "'Are you sure?' "'Yes,' she exclaimed. "'It's perfect. "'Lots of room under cover to work, "'plenty of space in the back for stacking pots. "'Can we get the back doors open still?' She walked over to the middle of the back wall and found the catches, pulling down on the chain to release the top bolt, pulling up on the lever to slip the bottom. She put her weight behind the handle and shoved the huge door sideways along its track. It squealed along the track for a couple of meters before fetching up on the litter on the floor. Alan and Mary freed the other door and it rolled back to its stops, flooding the interior with light for the first time in more than a decade. Yep, Rachel said, perfect. Thanks for listening to South Coast. A Shaman's Tale from the Golden Age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from Wish by Raphael Garcia-Perdigon. Available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit wwwdorandusorg golden.